This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. So running a business is risky, but how about if you could make it risk-free? What if you could actually take charge of things so that you could control things from the inside instead of having to worry about what's going on on the outside? Uh, today, we're going to talk to Patrick Esposito, who has just written a book on this, The Structure of Success, to focus on how do we deal with the inside of our firm, the inside of our for our clients, the inside of their business. How do we do this in such a way so that we're not so susceptible to external factors like the economy, like inflation, and so forth? And uh, Patrick, it is just great having you on our call today. Well, Tom, thanks for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity uh, to talk with you and, and your listeners. So uh, tell us, Patrick, just for a second, you know, where did this come from for you? Why, why did you decide to write this book? What, is, uh, what, what was really the determining factor behind it? Yeah, so I, I think to your point, Tom, you know, creating wealth, right? It's what most of us who start small and eventually grow into medium-sized businesses or end up running these types of organizations want to do, right? We want to do it for, you know, our families. We want to do it for our team. We want to do it for ourselves. And I think after spending about two decades in, you know, leading or advising a variety of small and medium-sized businesses, some new starts, some publicly traded, um, you know, the pandemic for a lot of us threw us, you know, for a loop, right? We did not see it coming. Um, and one of the outcomes of that, though, was maybe a little more, while we got through the panic, a little more time to reflect. So as I went through that journey, I spent more time kind of combing through a variety of my own anecdotal notes around what seemed to create um, the velocity, right, to grow and you know, what also were the foundations that allowed for stability in small and medium-sized businesses and um, decided through that that maybe I should test some of those assumptions and theories with a group of um, experts, right? Other folks who had successfully led businesses that were small to medium-sized uh, to test some of the theories and see if perhaps they were right. And so, you know, did a survey with 100, you know, folks deemed to be successes, right, by various measures, um, everything from, you know, businesses that were under 10 people, but still doing, you know, significant revenue uh, to businesses that were 250 plus, right, in terms of employees. And what struck me about the survey is that most of the assumptions I had going in which were you'll face headwinds, right, from external forces. But if you have your internal uh, foundations and structures built correctly around a small number of core, core areas, and in this case, eight, um, for most businesses, right, some may be less, some could be more, but eight seems to about be the common number, you'll have a lot greater chance of success. And if you look at statistical information over what, causes failure, it's those same eight factors, but those eight factors being out of line as opposed to in line. All right. Well, you've, you've got me curious now. So let's, let's start, let's start with the basic question is what do you mean by internal focus as opposed to external focus? Yeah. So, you know, I think we spend a lot of time, right. Looking at 
you know, macro level economic issues, right? We spend a lot of time looking at micro issues on delivery, right? Whether you're doing services or products, you know, retail, wholesale, industrial, commercial, we spend a lot of time looking up here at the economy and we spend a lot of time down here looking at customers. And that's all very good. But what I believed based upon the hundred or so companies I'd been either leading or advising, right? Most advising, few of those leading. Um, there were eight factors that sort of tended to dictate whether things were going to end up well, right? Or at least be sustained for long periods of time. And those eight categories were, you know, did you have a governance team that functioned well, right? Did you have a management team that functioned well? Did you have a process to look at adjustment and pivot opportunities and decide when those should be made? Did you have a method and a framework to look at the internal investments that you should be making to support your growth? Did you have a process for managing uh, disputes and potentially even breakups between the owners or owners and investors in a business? Did you have a method for looking you know, logically, coherently at mergers and acquisitions, uh, you know, other types of transactions and partnerships? And lastly, the two areas that folks don't really like to talk about, right, if they're leading businesses, um, disaster preparedness and succession planning, right? We tend to shy away from those two more than anything else. Um, and so, you know, when you hear those eight factors, you probably think, oh, yeah, I've seen a situation where I had a business that the management team wasn't all aligned and it cost us a lot of time and energy and took our focus away from what we should have been doing for our customers and our team. You know, you may say, yeah, you know, we ignored the information that our customers were giving us around the fact that our offerings weren't aligned with what they wanted, right? We needed to make some adjustments. Um, you know, if you look at, and, and a lot of what I get to in the book, The Structure of Success, is the you know empirical data that we did from the research that really brings to life the number of other entrepreneurs who've had those same problems with their businesses. And you know, look, we all know that unfortunately most businesses do not succeed, right? But the ones that do succeed seem to have these eight factors where they look at these areas, make decisions and do it in a regularized way that they keep their business really aligned and moving forward to create that wealth, right? That your, that your, uh, your listener base wants to hear about. Yeah. So, so you, one, one of the first ones you started with was governance, uh, yeah. board. I, I think that's what you call it is, uh, is the, is the uh, governance council or governance board. What do you mean by that? I mean, we all know, you know, I've all heard of advisory boards. We've, you know, but we're talking about small businesses. We're not talking about multinational companies here who have, you know, a, a board and a chairman of the board, et cetera. We're talking about people, a, a lot of our listeners, single owner. Right. So right. What, what do you mean by a governance board? <laughs> well, to your point, um, governance is a term that a lot of us who, you know, have small businesses, especially, um, and even many medium-sized businesses, we tend to shy away from that. We, we think exactly what you said, which is large-scale corporate, often publicly traded, um, you know, not for me, right? And some of that is just the image that brings to mind. Some of that is the overhead we think exists if we need to put together board materials. 
And some of it is maybe not wanting other folks to participate in the decision-making process, right? You know, either, you know, I as an individual or I with another small group of, of folks, we own this business. Why do we need other folks to help us? Well, you know, look, to your point around going to loaners, right? There's, you know, the whole, um, the whole topic uh, and, you know, basketball, right? It's this concept of hero ball, right? One individual who puts the team on their back and tries to score a lot of points. Well, look, that doesn't usually work in basketball, right? Even Michael Jordan had, you know, Scottie Pippen and Steve Kerr. And the reality is that doesn't work for most business leaders, right? So when I talk about governance with small and medium-sized business leaders, there tends to be that apprehension around, whoa, 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 what do you mean, right? Like, I or I and this partner own this company, we're going to make the decisions. Well, a great example, you know, I had um, a friend who I'd known for some time who was leading an energy services company with a partner. And, you know, they were doing great, going through a lot of growth. But what they found was their vision of how their business should sustain and, you know, diversify or focus through that growth, um, you know, they didn't always agree. And so they had a great idea. And this is actually a lot of what gave me the, the initial insight that governance is something we need to talk about in small and medium-sized businesses. They came to me and they said, hey, look, you know, we have a great business. Um, we don't want to put together a formal board. What we want is someone in the room with us when we have our board meetings, we're still staying aboard at two, we want you there to advise us, talk things through with us, ask us questions, you know, take a position on what you would do if you had a vote, but we're not giving you a vote. And I thought that was a very great idea, right? So that to me is sort of that middle ground between a formal board of directors mm -hmm. who you're actually ceding some of the decision-making authority to and going it alone, right? So but, that can be- so, so you think it could actually be only one person. I mean, it could be just one, one like coach, yep. advisor, somebody like that, that you trust, um, that just gives you an a, a different view of the world. Exactly. And I have to tell you, look, I didn't come up with that concept on my own. My my friends brought it to me and, and asked me to sit in. And I thought, boy, that's a really a great, a great idea because it treads the line between I want to be the the decision maker, you know, the decision maker or the decision makers. I don't want to cede any power up to a board of folks I may not have relationships with who aren't invested in the business. It really puts that center point. So I tend to stack rank this as like formal board of directors, formal board of advisors, informal professional advisory group, friends and family council, or, hey, go ahead and play hero ball, keep doing what you're doing, but potentially to your own detriment. So I think to your point, doesn't have to be a big number, but just having somebody there with you to help you make better decisions, um, even if they don't have any right to say anything or decide anything, can be really valuable. I love that. I, I like having an outside point of view because that one one of the challenges, and of course, we're seeing this in politics right now, right? right? We're seeing this in social media that we tend to view the same things and listen to the same things over and over again. So we never get a different perspective. And I know yep. for uh, myself that, that uh, getting that different perspective is very, very important. So a governor's board is one of those things. If you could give us like just when we'll read the book so we can get the update. The book is the, <laughs> the structure of success. Um, but if you could give us a, a couple of the others that you think people tend not to do as much that yeah. um, make a major difference in the organization. Yeah, no, that's perfect. So, 
you know, when I talked a little bit about secession planning, right? And one of the things I think that, you know, a lot of folks say is, look, I don't intend to hand this business off to my kids, right? I intend to create an exit opportunity. Um, I'm going to wind this thing down. Or, you know, there's another side which says, I want to hand this business off to my kids. Well, look, the reality is there's two levels of secession, right? One is that long-term, long-range scenario where you may be handing it off to uh, someone in the family. You may be handing it off to someone else to lead. There's a whole structure you need to design to figure out who those people are and the training and experience they're going to need to guide that. The other side is the things we don't like to talk about, right? It's the human disaster element, as I like to say, which is, you know, unfortunately, um, tragic events occur. And, you know, if you are not there the next day, who's going to step in in an emergency situation to guide this thing to the point that a long-term scenario or an exit can play out? And so a lot of what, you know, I try to do with, with folks who lead organizations to say, look, I know you want to talk about it. This business may be as much you as it is anything else. But the reality is we're going to need to look at secession planning in an integrated way, um, both emergency and long-term, so you can get to whatever that tomorrow is that, that you want for yourself, for your partners, for your team, you know, for your family, and really even for your customers. Um, and that's another area that I feel like you know, it requires you almost to do a mental reset around some of the things you think of when you hear the phrase, right? Um, much like governance. Um, and you know, one of the other areas that I love to talk about because I think it's one that gets ignored um, is this whole method of having a framework to support disputes between owners or owners and investors mm -hmm. and even business breakups. So you know, what happens in a lot of organizations I see is you start the company, right? Maybe it's a corporation. You have your articles of, of organization, but do you have a shareholder agreement? Maybe, maybe not. You start an LLC, you have a LLC operating agreement. Does it define what happens in a circumstance where you, know, you have conflict and someone decides they're gonna leave as an owner? Is there a right to withdraw if there is? Is there a valuation process? Um, you know, in, in, in both of those types of documents, shareholders agreements, LLC agreements, or you know, operating agreements, I mean, or, or, or partnership agreements, if you're a partnership, you know, the more you can write down, the more robust you can make that legal document that you hang your hat on, the easier it's going to be when things do get rough, right? Because, you know, even the best partnerships sometimes can hit rough waters. Sometimes you need to figure out how to make decisions when it's two people and you need to break a tie, right? And sometimes you need to make a decision around what's the right way to value an exit. And in some cases, what's the right way to fund an exit. So, you know, those are three of the areas that I, I think are, are to me, some of the ones that most folks don't address in their businesses, but will allow them to be more resilient and succeed over a longer term. And obviously there's the other five as well, um, because I think when you ask Anybody who's run a business, the biggest mistakes they've made, um, you know, the number one thing they go to is management team. And a lot of that comes down to, you know, an individual who's a leader trying to wear too many hats, too much group think, right? We tend to look for people who are like us. Right. We should be looking for diversity of views and opinions, um, you know, but, but those are a lot of the conversations that I have when I'm helping advise others. And a lot of the conversations that, frankly, I even have with myself when I'm leading an organization, right? So, so, so speaking of that, so let's let let's then turn back because this takes us back to that governance board. When you're right. looking for that person, um, and 
honestly, I've been through this before where the governor's board actually has failed um, sure. because uh, I had somebody on that governor's board that was a can't do person, not how can I do what I want to do person. And yeah. that's a big difference. So how do you go about choosing that person or persons to be on that board? Yeah. Well, look, to, to your point, right, there's the model and then there's the composition, right? And being able to determine both what the elements are that you need from a composition standpoint for the board, right? What are the experience sets? What are the viewpoints? Um, what are the levels of expertise that you need? That's part of it. And then also having both the framework and the model to say, look, this isn't working. We're going to need to, you know, have a resignation or we're going to need to remove this person and we're going to need to readdress it. And I think for most individuals who lead businesses, um, we generally are not great at everything, right? For me personally, my biggest flaw is I'm not the world's best salesperson. Right. Um, and, you know, a lot of folks who are entrepreneurs are great salespeople, but maybe they're not as great on, you know, compliance and, and accounting or something like that. So what I always tend to tell folks is, you know, look at yourself and do an inventory of your real skills and talents. And then what are the areas where you're not as strong and you need help? And then go out and try to find people who can fill those roles with the expertise that you need to really supplement yourself. And, you know, in the case of my first um, company that I started, um, you know, we had a great team, but what we did not have was anybody who had experience really with selling software, anybody who had experience with leading a venture-backed software company that was, you know, in large measure family-owned, um, you know, to a logical exit based upon the market trajectory to make sure the team and technologies were able to, you know, lift off. Um, so we found somebody, fortunately, through our investors, who was an independent board member who helped to bring that experience set. Um, it could be there not just to guide us in board meetings, but in informal conversations when we really needed to understand how how to set up an OEM arrangement so it wasn't something that would undermine the value of the company, right? So, so I jokingly say that uh, CPA stands for cheapest people in America. So um, uh, you're looking at an outside person. Right. If, if you were looking at an outside director, they would expect compensation. So uh, kind of how do, you, how do you deal with that part of it? Because I know, you know, we are concerned about costs. That, that, that is kind of part of our job is to right. be concerned about costs um, right. as CPAs. How, how do you uh, deal with that? Because you can find a friend and they'll yeah. do it, but yeah. are they really outside? That's part because you want somebody who will tell you the hard truth, right? Not just somebody who will say, you know, show up at a meeting um, once a month. Uh, right. So, so what do you do about that from a compensation or that kind of an agreement? Yeah. So, so to your point, you know, as, as I've seen scenarios like this, I've seen a range, right? So there's, you know, some folks who in their business, to your point, they're cost sensitive, but they're cost sensitive around equity, not as cost sensitive around cash. Uh, others may be less cost sensitive around equity and very cost sensitive around cash. You know, so some type of nominal equity position, either in the form of, uh, you know, uh, you know, stock options or restricted stock or, you know, uh, restricted units in an LLC. You know, I see that. I see cash. I also see success based scenarios, right? So if the goal 
uh, is to, you know, you realize a market is moving and you want to make sure that what you've built stays as a part of it rather than gets killed during that process. You know, it could be something that's based upon revenue growth. It could be something that's based upon exits. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of ways to do it. And really, to your point, it comes down to what is your appetite to spend? What are you willing to spend, both in cash and equity? Um, and what do you what are you and the individuals you're looking to involve willing to sort of, you know, put a bet and say, well, we're going to do this based upon the success of where we're trying to drive this? Yeah, I, I actually I, I love the success conversation idea because what it's saying is is that um, look here's our benchmark here's where we are if you yep. can help us be better why wouldn't we share that with you and uh, and it does tell the um, your advisor whoever's coming in that hey this is a serious position so I I, I do like that so um, again the the book is the structure of success and I believe your website is Patrick esposito.com right right um any any final words uh any final recommendations for uh our cpas you know i i think uh one grateful for the opportunity tom to talk with you and 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 your listener base uh two um you know would invite folks as you said to check out the book um available on you know most of your online retailers as well as many bookstores um and um you know as tom said you can check out my author website, patrickespedito.com, um, or um, my other uh, uh, business sites that uh, help uh, both through Initiative Labs and Acme General Corp to advise small and medium-sized businesses and even other organizations, uh, government agencies, nonprofits, um, public companies uh, through those ventures. Awesome. Thank you, Patrick. And uh, just remember, um, when, when we're looking at um, you know, when we structure our own company for success, we have to be strong internally before we can help our clients. And after all, it is about our clients. Um, when we can serve our, our clients better, um, our firm becomes better, our life becomes better. And, uh, and I think, my opinion, the world becomes better. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to the WealthAbility for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to WealthAbility.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>